I forgot to refill my water. Such is life. Hope you're all having a great time. I just returned home from the Bahamas for the World Series of Poker Tournament. It was a great time. I would go again. Today, we're going to be talking about bankroll management. Why? Well, because I know a lot of you do not adhere to it. But also because I lost lots of tournaments in the uh, Bahamas. I did not do especially well. Actually, it's not entirely fair. I had three caches out of about 15 tournaments played, maybe 12 tournaments played. Probably should have looked that up before we started today. And I had uh, two top 50 finishes in World Series of Poker tournaments, which, you know, is not all that bad. The problem is that top 50 does not pay the bills. People are joining. Welcome in. Hello, hello. First time. Good morning. Um, what happened in the Bahamas? Well, I busted the $25,000 buy-in tournament twice. And can you all hear me? No, I'm good. I think I'm good. Can you all hear me? Type something in the chat if you can hear me. I think we're streaming. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I bubbled the $25,000 buy-in tournament. That was annoying. Uh, that was one of the first tournaments I played in the Bahamas. And, um, you know, that's always rough. They also did this thing in the Bahamas to hopefully ensure they make guarantees where you played until the you got in the money on every day one. So inevitably, you're going to be busting a lot. That's just how it goes, right? Um, so yeah, bubbling the first one was no fun. Lost the second one. So right there, 50K down. Then the main event. I think I played the main event three times. Lost all three of those two. I played until about midnight every night as well, which did not help because I did not have a whole lot of time to rest and recover and enjoy the Bahamas. I went outside exactly one time while the tournament series was happening. I went the last day of the tournament series too, but it was pouring down rain, so I didn't get to do anything. They won't let you go swimming when it's torrential rain and lightning, apparently. I don't mind, but apparently they do. So I didn't really get to go rest and recover and all of that, which, look, I don't put a whole lot of stock in. I don't think it's that valuable in general if you have a good strong mindset that said resting and recovering is good it's a nice thing to do so okay we lost the main event three times we lost the high roller twice 65k down great then some smaller tournaments happened and that's when i got in the money in the flip and go that was lucky Still turned a little bit of a loser on that one. I think I took 50th place. I got it in with Pocket Kings against Pocket Jacks and 8-6 offsuit. And I lost. Flop came King 9-3. I managed to lose to the Pocket Jacks. That was a lot of fun. And if I would have won that hand, I would have had a lot of chips with 50 people left in the flip and go, which, you know, is a pretty good spot to be in. Something we should point out, by the way. A lot of people don't understand that when you have six or seven big blinds under the gun... In a big blind anti-tournament, you don't need to freak out and go all in with the 8-6 offsuit. I saw someone go all in with the 8-6 offsuit under the gun for about six or seven big blinds, like in this hand. And also 5-2 offsuit. Throwing all in with a 5-2 offsuit with a six big blind stack under the gun. You don't need to do that. Ideally, you don't get down to six big blinds. But if you do find yourself with six big blinds under the gun in a big blind anti-tournament, you don't have to go with absolute trash. It's okay to just fold, pay your ante, pay your big blind, and keep progressing in the tournament. Don't punt the tournament. Um, so yeah, so that was annoying. Then I busted out. I hopped right into a $2,000 bounty tournament 
which by the way, you usually should not be buying in late into bounty tournaments unless you have a good reason to, because whenever you buy in late into a bounty tournament, assuming bounties have already been paid out as they have been in this tournament, some of the prize pool is already gone. So you're putting in $2,000, but you can't collect the full $2,000 in equity because some of the money has already been taken out of the prize pool because people have busted. Also, when you buy in late into a bounty tournament, you cannot collect bounties for a while because you're gonna have to get some double ups, right? Whereas everybody else can. So it's really not a good spot to be in. That's that I wasn't buying in too late, so it was probably okay. And I ended up taking 40th or 50th place in that one as well. I got into the pocket queens on that one. Against Ace-King, to be fair. It was annoying because the flop came queen high. Queen something something when I had Ace-King. I'm sorry, when I had queens, he had Ace-King, and he ended up making a straight. So that was annoying too. But again, that was another spot where we were down to 30 or 40, 50 people, whatever it was. And if I win the hand, I'm in okay shape. So that's okay. I also played a $1,000 buy-in online tournament. There was a freeze-out. I think I took, I don't know, 100th place out of 2,000 people. That was okay. I got in a big flip on that one, lost my big flip. That was annoying. But you know what? What can you do? You're going to lose some hands. So anyway, three pretty good finishes, but still a nice loser. I don't know how much I lost on the trip. Probably 60K or something. And that's why it's important to have good bankroll management. Ideally, whenever you are playing any sort of game, you want to keep your buy-in spread somewhat tight. You don't want to be playing $25,000 buy-in tournaments and $1,000 buy-in tournaments because then the $1,000 buy-in tournaments don't really matter all that much. And so what I strongly recommend everyone do is figure out what you want your buy-in to be for your bankroll and then play accordingly. Uh, we have a website, the Bankroll Bible. You can check it out at pokercoaching.com bankroll. Here we have bankroll requirements for tournaments, assuming you have a 30% return on investment, which again is not so precise. Because in some games, you're going to have a higher than 30% return on investment, maybe if you're good. And in other games, you're going to have a lower than 30% return on investment. For example, if I go to the PokerGo studio and play a $25,000 buy-in tournament against a lot of the best players in the world and a few bad players, maybe my return on investment is 5%, maybe 10% on a good day. So that means I'm going to need a larger bankroll than is recommended here. If I'm playing in a super-duper soft $2,000 knockout tournament where everyone's going nuts on the last day of the World Series of Poker in the Bahamas with an overlay. By the way, they only had 400 entries and they needed 500 to make their million dollar guarantee. Well, in that spot, I'm going to have at least a 20% ROI because that's what the overlay was. Um, you know, players put in 800K and they're getting back 1 million. So you, know, you get a 20, 20, 25% bump right off the top. And then I'm probably gonna have a pretty nice edge on those players because they're all tilting and not playing well. Plus there were other bigger tournaments going on, like a 10K PLO that were taking some good players away from the uh, 2K. So in that tournament, even though it was kind of turbo, ROI may be 40 or 50%. I would not be shocked if that's the case because of the overlay, plus the fact there's no good player or fewer good players in the field. And um, and lots of players are tilting on the last day of the tournament. So in that scenario, we're going to need fewer buy-ins. So assuming we have 30% 30 return on investment across the board, and we're keeping our buy-ins the same, If we're playing, let's say, 500-player tournaments, 550-player tournaments, you need about 219 buy-ins in your bankroll. That is a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. A lot of people do not have 200 buy-ins. Now, you may not need this 200 buy-ins if you are not actually a professional. What does a professional poker player mean? This presumes you cannot replenish your bankroll if you go broke. 
okay? Most of you out there have a job. So if you lose your poker money, you can just go work for a month and have more poker money. So to some extent, you can count that money that's coming in from your job as part of your poker money, assuming that's going to be the case. Also, you can move down. You're allowed to move down. You should be moving down. And I think a lot of players don't fully recognize that. They think that if they start playing, let's say, $1,000 tournaments, and now they're a $1,000 tournament player, and to play a $500 tournament means that they are all of a sudden a loser. But that's not the case. You're allowed to move down. You should be moving down. Also, you can do things like selling pieces of your action to higher buy-in tournaments. For example, when I play 25Ks, sometimes I'll sell action. Often I'll sell action. I don't need to sell action for 25Ks. But I'll try to play them like a 15K in general, which is roughly what I did. So I ended up selling out $10,000 worth of action to both of those 25Ks. Because I really don't want to have a big spread between $1,000 buy-in tournaments and and $25,000 buy-in tournaments, right? And I know that for my bankroll and risk tolerance, et cetera, et cetera, I like to play roughly 15Ks in general. If I'm going to be playing a $100,000 buy-in tournament, I have no problem at all selling 85% of it and playing it like a 15K as you should to some extent, especially if you don't expect to have much of a return on investment in that tournament because most 100Ks are pretty tough. So you can do things like selling action to your bigger tournaments. I've been talking to uh, Slick Rick, who I've been coaching for the last few months, and he's out playing to win right now. And he initially was just not even going to play the main event. But I said, that's ridiculous. He's like, but it's a $10,000 buy-in. I'm like, yeah, what do you want your buy-in to be? He wants his average buy-in to be, let's say, 1200 bucks. Sell 88% of it. Fine. He sold 88% of it in two seconds. Now he's in. Uh, Four bullets. 8,800 sold per bullet. He's playing it like his normal tournament. He's good to go. Now, if he wins, of course, he's not going to win the entire prize. He only gets back 12% of the prize or whatever it is. Sure, he sold for some bit of a markup, whatever. But... Fine, you get to play a giant soft tournament that has good publicity, good for his video blog that he likes, and uh, that's good. So realize that you should actively be trying to sell action, assuming you are someone who is worthy of people buying your action. Now, the problem with most people is that they have no poker results or minimal poker results, and they think that they should be able to sell their action at a gigantic markup. And that's absolutely not true. Uh, If you are a losing poker player, you should not expect to be able to sell your action at all. If you have had no success in poker or minimal success in poker, you should not expect anyone to want to buy your action. So, you got to start tiny and do it yourself. Whenever I first started playing poker, I had $50 to my name. Five, zero. Not a lot of money. And I started playing five cent, 10 cent, or it's 25 cent, 50 cent limit is where I started back then because they did not have no limit hold'em. But that's 100 bets, which, to be fair, isn't even that big of a bankroll. You probably need more like 300 bets or 500 bets. But I had 100 bets at 25 cent, 50 cent limit hold'em. And, um, you know, I grinded it out. I played a ton, moved up. Played a ton more and moved up and played a ton more and moved up. Realize that poker is an amazing game, especially at the small stakes, because you can have a very big return on investment or hourly rate or big blind per hour rate, whatever it is. And... You don't really need much money to get started. Some people are saying here, you only have 200 bucks. Fine. You play $2 buy-ins. Fine. Good. That's what you should be doing. How much rake back do these pro streamers get? Depends on if they want to be shills for a poker site. Some get a lot. Some get none. 
most poker sites, though, now, if you play a lot, they'll give you 50-ish percent rake back in form of bonuses and whatnot. So most people who are playing a lot are getting something like 40 or 50% just for being high-volume players. Assuming they're high-volume players. I mean, I realize some people just play one table at a time, and then you're never going to get a lot of rake back because, well, you're not a high-volume player. But I know, like, GG, for example, pays something like 45% to everyone if they play a lot. So, you know, something like that. That said, you do not want to be a rakeback grinder. A lot of people thought they wanted to be a rakeback grinder, and then PokerStars rugged them hard and took away all their rakeback. Or the majority of their rakeback. Uh, do not count on a handout. You know, I think a lot of people in life expect a handout. And I would instead recommend you do not expect a handout at all. Presume you're going to get nothing given to you and then work very hard to achieve things yourself. I learned a long time ago that as an American poker player, most poker sites are not going to want me to represent them because most poker sites do not operate in America and I don't really want to be promoting an illegal gambling operation. So what are my options? Are my options to cry about it and say, oh man, no one's giving me a sponsorship deal. No, make your own, build your own. I built PokerCoaching.com as a way to make money on the side from poker and utilize the skills that I have. How much of your return on investment will you get per month? This is not how you should be thinking about it at all. Compare it to the stock market. Well, look, if you think you're a stock trader, you're probably fooling yourself. Most people are not stock traders. I've talked to some world-class hedge fund managers and they tell me everyone loses. So say everyone, 99.9% .9 of people do not outperform the market in the long run. So you, you don't even think about it like compared to something like stocks because stocks are very funny. Like high volume stock traders make 0.01% per trade, you know, but they make a ton of them. Long-term holders buy something, hold it for a long time and hopefully make some, maybe not, depending on what, how interest rates are going and whatnot. Anyway, you make some return on investment per event you enter, Right? And let's say you do play 100 tournaments per month and you invest with a 30% return on investment on every game, it will compound to some extent very quickly, which is why you can make a lot of money from poker very quickly. What's a good all-in adjusting big blind per 100 for multi-table tournament players? That's actually not a great question because you can have a very big BB per 100 in the early levels but a very bad BB per 100 in the late levels and think that you're very good, but you're actually very bad because it turns out the later levels are very, very, very important. So I would definitely recommend you look at your big blind per 100 when you are like 25 big blinds or shorter and also look at it for the late parts of the tournament. Poker needs an index fund. Well, this is what backing groups do. I'm part of the POKAR backing group. You can search it, P-O-C-A-R-R. -R. Basically, they take poker players, back them in small six tournaments, and then... The medium stakes tournaments and high stakes tournaments. And all the players help each other and they all improve together. And many of them have become many of the best players in the world. You may know Giraffe Ganger on PokerCoaching.com, one of our coaches. He just won the biggest online tournament for however, however much he got, 3 million bucks or something the other day. And he started off as a poker grindy a long time ago, playing tiny stakes. Let's talk about late re-entry. Wallbeach says, what buy-in do you need if we enter very late with 10 big blinds? Well, when you enter very late in a tournament, your return on investment will naturally be very low because you don't have a whole lot of time to extract value from people and you only have 10 big blinds. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you 
should expect to have a very, very tiny return on investment. However, there won't be as many players in the tournament now because, well, half of them are busted already or whatever it is, right? So let's say you are playing a tournament that started with 1,000 people, 500 left. You probably need something like 500 buy-ins, some huge number, a huge number. Again, presuming you cannot reload. Recognize, though, for most people, you can reload, and that is fine and good. All this is to say, though, that a lot of people do not keep nearly big enough bankroll for poker tournaments. Most people don't realize how long the long run is. Like, what percentage of tournaments should you make the money? I mean, you're going to be all over the place. Sometimes you're going to cash a lot. Sometimes you're not going to cash a lot. But your cash percentage is actually not that relevant. What matters is, what is your return on investment? Because... Some of the players who cash the most often are actually some of the biggest losers. How could that be? Well, they sneak into the money and they're really proud of themselves and they get in the money, let's say 28% of the time when only 15% of the field should get in the money based on straight raw math. But then they never win. They get in the money with three big blinds. They're so happy. They celebrate. They're proud of themselves. They got to win. They turn their $100 into 142. Congratulations. And then... Well, they lose because they have six big blinds. You, if you are consistently sneaking in the money, you're doing it wrong. Now, of course, there will be periods of time in your poker career where you are forced to sneak into the money. It's annoying. It's not you don't know what you want to do, but you may find that you have 10 tournaments in a row where you just happen to have no chips late in the tournament and you get to sneak in the money and collect the free cash and then hopefully spin it up. And then usually you don't spin it up. But ideally you find yourself on the bubble with a lot of chips and you're running people over more often than not recreational players need a shorter bankroll well it depends on what you mean by a recreational player if you're a recreate look i want to make it very clear here if you're a losing player if your return on investment is zero or negative no amount of bankroll management will save you you are going to lose your money hate to break it to you okay if you are a losing player at any game where you're investing with an edge or a lack of an edge. If you have a lack of an edge, you're going to lose. So if you're a recreational player, presuming you're not a winning player, no amount of bankroll management will save you. You're going to lose all your money. Hate to break it to you. But if you do have an edge, then um, assuming you can replenish your bankroll, then obviously you don't need quite as much because you, you your bankroll is not the amount of money you actually have now. It's the amount of money you have now and then in the future. What's a good size to see results in tournaments? Depends on how many players are playing, right? Also depends on your edge. But actually mainly depends on how many players are playing in the tournament. So as there are fewer players in the tournament, you will get a more accurate snapshot of your return on investment relatively quickly. Like only, let's say, 5,000 tournaments or so. Like back when I used to play nine-handed sit-and-goes, you'd have a pretty good idea of your actual return on investment over something like 5,000 games. For live tournaments, though, with... 5,000 people, or let's say 1,000 people. I don't know how many games you need, but it's probably like 100,000 or something ridiculous. And of course, you're not going to get to 100,000 tournaments played, so you're never actually going to know. Something else very important when it comes to recognizing bankroll considerations is that very often you will not know your return on investment. And something my first poker coach taught me, a guy named Bill Seymour, he taught me a long time ago, always presume that you are worse than your results say that you are. And then adjust accordingly. Because if you keep a slightly larger bankroll or even a two times larger bankroll than you need, yes, you're leaving some money on the table, but you are going to severely minimize the risk of going broke. And going broke is really, really bad for a poker player because then you're out of action. 
if you cannot go play because you don't have money, well, you cannot extract your edge, right? At the end of the day, you need to find a game you can beat, play it a lot, and keep a proper bankroll. And if you do those three things, you will win. If you don't have a proper bankroll, and if you cannot play a lot because you're out of money, well, you're certainly not going to make it, right? So everyone out there who thinks that they're God's gift to poker needs to realize that you're probably running hot. And that's okay. You're allowed to run hot. I've had periods in my life where I've ran ungodly hot and I probably was young and dumb and thought I was amazing. Actually, that's not true. You want to know why? Because I had good people around me. Bill taught me a long time ago exactly what I'm telling all of you right now. And whenever I ran hot early in my career, I recognized it. I locked that money up. I bought some houses, set myself up nicely for retirement and didn't blow the money. A lot of players, though, they blow the money because they think that if they win a million dollars this week, they can win a million dollars next week. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> it's not how it goes very often. This info targeted for people who are pros or not pros. This info is targeted for exactly the people who are commenting in the chat. If you've been paying attention, I've been answering the majority of the questions in the chat so that you all get good, actionable information for you. Here's a cash game bankroll management recommendations. So there's a thousand buy and safe for tournaments. Depends on your return on investments. You never run ungodly hot. Well, look, most people don't play enough to run ungodly hot. Simple as that. Uh, most people play two tournaments a week and think that's a lot. Back when I was playing a ton in live poker, I would play maybe 40 tournaments a month, which is not even all that much. Now you can re-enter. You can actually play two or three tournaments a day. Probably two per day on average. So maybe 60 per month. Still not a lot. If you compare that to an online player who plays Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they'll easily put in 150 tournaments or so, maybe more. So, I mean, you see that if you're putting in 60 a week, I'm sorry, 60 a month, but an online player can put in, what, 600 in four weekends, they're going to get to the long run and extract their edge way faster than you will playing live. Now, typically edges are way smaller online, but that's that. So let's talk about cash games. Uh, in cash games, you assuming you're not playing like overly nitty or overly maniacal, these are roughly the bankroll requirements, assuming you have a specific win rate. Um, you can ignore this number here. If this is presuming we're playing one, two, no limit, hold them. So if, you have, if you're winning three big blinds per 100 hands, which is not a good win rate, but, you know, is like a low online win rate, you're going to need about 10,000 big blinds. So it means if you're playing one to no limit online and you have a small win rate, a tiny win rate, you're going to need about 100 buy-ins. 100, 100 big blind buy-ins for that game. Can you be too nitty with your bankroll? I just discussed this. <laughs> uh, can you be too nitty? Uh, look, whenever you're tight with your bankroll and you're playing smaller than you should, you give up an edge. You give up some of your potential edge and you're not maximizing your time appropriately. Um, that said, maybe it's worth it if it makes you play way better and it makes you not feel stress and it ensures longevity. By the way, I, I mentioned right here below. Again, this is at pokercoaching.com bankroll. Playing with these numbers here will give you a 3% chance of going broke. Pros don't want to go broke 3% of the time. They want to go broke less than 3% of the time. They want to go broke close to none. Obviously, you want to move down, et cetera, et cetera. And that's that. 
So anyway, if you have a tiny win rate, you need about 100 buy-ins. Now, if you're playing live poker against very bad players, you're going to be in this region where you're going to be winning 20 or 25 big blinds per 100 hands. And for that, you only need 2,000 or 2,500 big blinds because your edge is humongous. If you have a humongous edge, you don't actually need that much of a bankroll. And in cash games, there isn't actually that much variance. Because if you consider any cash game session that you play, let's say in live poker, you're going to be up or down like two or three or four or 500 big blinds in a session. Now, I do realize some games... Like um, the game Slick Rick gets to play in Texas. In Texas, they may be playing five ten, but it's actually five ten twenty five fifty. Well, in that case, you're not playing five ten; you're playing twenty five fifty, right? So if you're playing twenty five fifty because everyone straddles and double straddles, well, obviously you're going to need five times or more money than you would to play normal five ten. So if you go there with let's say a twenty thousand dollar bankroll, and now all of a sudden you're playing twenty five fifty, you're playing with 400 big blinds, which means you're severely under bankrolled, right? It's very, very important to recognize the exact game you are playing. This 3% assume you don't move down. Yes, obviously, you should be moving down. I don't recommend playing tournaments with more than 13% rake. However, all the tournaments that you play have a lot of rake. Should you just skip those tournaments? Yes. If the rake is high, do not play. Just because a game exists does not mean that you have to play. Worth noting as well, it seems like some of you think whenever you win money at poker, you're supposed to go buy nonsense with it. Uh, realize that if you buy nonsense with your bankroll, that money is in theory not taken out of your bankroll. That money is just gone from your life roll. Now, if you're robbing your poker bankroll, like in my mind, you have two different bankrolls. You have your poker bankroll and you have your life roll. Two different sets of money. Your poker money, in theory, never really gets touched. It should not get touched. You should not be removing money from that until you have a humongous win rate and you're not trying to move up anymore. The goal of your poker bankroll is to grow, to allow you to play as big as you possibly can with a reasonable rate, uh, with a reasonable win rate. So if you're consistently taking money out of your poker bankroll to buy stuff, you're essentially saying, I don't care about moving up and I also don't care about longevity, which is fine. You may not care about moving up and you may not care about longevity. But if you want to move up and you want to have a good, long, successful career where you can continue to extract value, you need to keep the money in your bankroll and not spend it. Okay. Any, I mean, whenever I was a kid, I started with 50 bucks. Like I told you earlier, I didn't cash out any until I had about $250,000. That may sound crazy to people. It probably is crazy. But I had a job making $10 an hour. That was all I needed as a kid. And um, I didn't need the money. And I was not playing live yet because I wasn't 21. So I didn't even need to take the money out to go play live poker with it. So, never cashed it out. Now, obviously, you shouldn't be leaving $250,000 on an online site. That was stupid. But at the same time, if I did take that money out, I would not have spent it on anything because I don't, I, I'm not trying to spend it on anything. What's a good sample for Big Blind Per 100 to become relevant? I don't know. 100,000 hands will give you a decent idea. I mean, look, you got to realize if you're winning 25 Big Blinds Per 100 over 100,000 hands, which is not actually all that many, you're probably going to be somewhere between like 15 and 30, right? And so, you know, you have a pretty good win rate regardless. 
Now, if you play 100,000 hands and you're winning two big blinds per 100, well, you could be negative or you could be slightly positive. But um, you got to realize that as you play more and more, the spread gets tighter and tighter. Also, cash games are a little bit funny because the specific players you play with is going to be very important. Um, if you're playing in games that have the exact same players, yeah, you'll have roughly the same win rate. But if you're playing in games where you're playing against sometimes very bad players and sometimes very good players, or just okay players sometimes and okay players plus three horrible players sometimes, the times when you're playing against the three horrible players, your win rate is going to be through the roof. How do you get over bad beats? You lost 600 bucks. Well, realize, if you care about the losses that you're taking, you're probably playing too big. Simple as that. I'll make that very clear definitive statement. If you are playing in any game and you are distraught over, over a single loss, you're playing far too big. I mean, take a look at this right here, right? I mean, imagine you are playing with a $5,000 bankroll at one to no limit with a huge win rate, you presume, and you lose $600. Do you care? I mean, it's, what is this? An eighth of your money. I mean, not eighth, a twelfth of your money, something like that. Should you care if you lose a twelfth of your money? I mean, yeah, it's, it's annoying. It's a big loss. It will happen. But, you know, get over it. The problem with most people is they have $600 and then they lose $600. Notice nowhere in here am I recommending playing for all of your money, ever. Not even recommending playing for 25% of your money, ever. How do you grow a bankroll? Start tiny. Find a game you can beat, play it a lot, and keep a proper bankroll. Now, if you have $0 to your name right now, you got to go get a job. You got to make money somehow. I don't really recommend grinding free rolls, trying to make one cent per hour. You can just do much, much, much better getting a job, even a minimum wage job, and saving the money. And then taking the money and using that to play. Because at tiny stakes, you're not going to make more than $15 an hour or whatever minimum wage is um, playing poker at, at tiny stakes. So you got to realize that Getting a job and utilizing the things that you have, the skills that you have, is going to be more beneficial than playing poker in terms of dollars per hour. But you have to realize dollars per hour is not necessarily your main concern when you're starting to play poker. When you're starting to play poker, the main concern is getting good at poker so that you can have a high win rate. I never recommend people, we talked about uh, grinding for rake back. I never recommend people playing micro stakes, playing 16 tables at a time to try to get rake back or to try to win at two big blinds per hundred. No, no, no. That is setting yourself up for failure, at least a, a minimum minimal win rate. You want to make sure that you are playing when you're, when you're a new poker player or someone trying to get better at the game with the idea of, I want to get a very high win rate at this current game. So I'm not relying on a handout from Rakeback and I'm not relying on, well, just clicking buttons and trying to play weak type poker and extracting the horribly bad play at this level. Because when you move up, your opponents aren't going to be playing poorly. And if you have a tiny win rate at the tiny stakes, you're not going to have any win rate at the small stakes. And if you can't beat the small stakes, you're going to lose. So you don't really want to be playing a ton of tables until you have very clearly proven that you have a nice win rate at the game and also uh, that you don't really want to move up anymore. But, you know, you typically want to move up, at least beyond the micro stakes, that's for sure. Let's see. How do you determine when to play for small income versus pursuing large income? Th this is not a good question because, look, if you, it sounds like you've never played at all. If you've never played at all, then you should not expect to be a professional. For example, I have never done brain surgery on anyone in my whole life. I would not think ever, hmm, you know what? 
I'm going to go become a brain surgeon. Because it looks fun. That would be ridiculous, right? You have to go to school. You have to work. You have to study. Same thing with poker. You cannot think, hmm, I'm going to do this professionally now. No, get in there. Play, practice, experiment. As a wreck and want to run household expenses for a few months, how much percent of bankroll should one extract from your bankroll to sustain what? Your your living expenses? I mean, look, any money you take out of your poker bankroll for living expenses essentially uh, demands you to replenish it. If you want to continue playing the same stakes, right? So if you're playing and you're winning a thousand bucks a month, but you're cashing out a thousand bucks a month, you're never going to move up. Also, when you cash out an X, X amount of dollars per month from your bankroll, uh, you're going to have swings. You're going to have winning months and losing months. So if you, let's say, have five k or 5000 in your bankroll and you take out 1000 a month and you expect to win 1000 a month, some months you're going to win 100 And now you, you're down to 4100 in your bankroll. Now you need to move down in stakes. And that's not ideal. What's the max amount you should put of your bankroll on the table? It depends on your edge. It all depends on your edge. All depends on your edge. We literally have this listed out right here. Hopefully it's clear as day. As your edge gets bigger, as your edge gets bigger, you need fewer buy-ins. For example, what if you were literally 100% to win because your opponents are so incredibly bad? Let's say you're playing a poker game. Let's say you're playing a poker game where you know your opponents are so bad, they are going to fold 100% of hands before the flop, except for aces. And with aces, they're going to go all in. How much of your bankroll can you put on the table? Well, the answer is obviously all of it. Why? Because you cannot lose. You minimum raise every hand. And if they go all in, you fold. Right? What if they did that with uh, aces, kings, queens, jacks, and ace, king? They shoved all in and then they folded everything else. How much of your money can you put on the table in that one? All of it. Because again, you're just going to min raise every hand and you're going to win almost every pot. Right? I made Daniel Negreanu's vlog. Indeed. I have an interview with Daniel Negreanu on my YouTube channel. Make sure you check it out. Go to search, go to YouTube.com, type Jonathan Little Daniel Negreanu. It'll come right up. But yeah, it was funny. I was just sitting there grinding out, playing this flip and go. I was actually sitting in my room thinking, do I even want to go play this silly flip and go? But then I realized it's kind of like a $6,000 buy-in tournament on average. So I went down there, I played, lost three, and then won the fourth. And Negreanu was sweating somebody at the table. And instead... I got to win. It was actually the worst hand I had on, on all my flips. I had an ace nine of hearts and the board was like 10, nine, three. And I, I had uh, ace nine, six. And I thought about keeping the nine, six because that makes straight sometimes. Good thing I didn't though because the river was an ace and that was good enough. How does a flip and go work? Okay, a flip and go, the way it works is everybody gets three cards. You're all all in, all in pre-flop. Everybody gets three cards. The flop comes. And now everyone has to discard one of their three cards. So, for example, on 10-9-3, I had ace-9-6. Okay? Ace-9-6. Should I keep ace-9 for middle pair top kicker, or should I keep 9-6 for middle pair backdoor straight draw? And I don't, I don't actually know the right answer to this one, uh, because uh, nine, nine, uh, the 6 is very often just not good if you hit it, because if uh, someone has 8-7, they're always going to keep the 8-7, right? So I thought the ace nine was probably a little bit better. So I kept the ace nine, rivered the ace, and it was good. You have to run pure and get lucky to hit a big 10K score in a tournament. Well, if the tournament has a buy-in of $10,000, you just have to get a minimum cash. 
if you deposit $100 and play $1 tournaments 100 times per month, if your ROI is $30, will you earn $30 per month? This is like a math question. I don't know. If you play 100 tournaments in a month, uh, no, because there's a lot of variance, Ronnie. You'll have a ton of variance. Sometimes you're going to win a ton. Sometimes you're going to lose. You have to realize, I mean, let me see if I have a graph here. Poker gr bankroll graphs often go down for cash game or for tournaments. Take a look at this graph here. This is over 500 tournaments. And this is a very, very kind, nice team tournament. Notice this player played. They spiked the tournament right off the bat. And then they just straight lost. They won a thousand bucks right off the bat. And then they lost about 1500 pretty much straight. After this first 10 tournaments, they think, oh man, I'm good. I got a cash. I got another, I got a win. I got a cash. And then they just go right into the dumpster. And then they have some scores. Then they go right in the dumpster again for another 30 tournaments. Then they have some scores. Take a look at this. From right here, this point right here, this is 160 tournaments in, all the way to over here, 371 tournaments in. This is like, what, 200 tournaments? For 200 tournaments, this player basically broke even, despite the fact that their graph is beautifully, beautifully straight up. <laughs> right? Their graph is beautifully straight up, but they had a 200 tournament break even stretch. Think about you playing two tournaments a week. That's a hundred weeks of breaking even with a high ROI. Are you okay playing a hundred tournaments? Maybe it'll take you, I'm sorry, 200 tournaments. Maybe that'll take you two years, maybe more. Breaking even. A lot of players are not. They're not cool with that. So if you're not cool with that, tournaments are not for you. Cashing in 12% of tournaments is excellent. Uh, no, it's not. 15% uh, of the field gets in the money. Most of the best players in the world cash about 14 or 13% of the time, give or take. And uh, they win way more often than they should. You have to realize, again, cashing is not the most relevant metric. Your cash percentage is not that important. So many people think cashing is important, but it is. I mean, look, it's a thing. It counts. It's relevant, but it's not the most important thing. Call it slugging percentage. Slugging percentage is the most important. Because, well, that's when you get your big scores. I'll give you a good example. In the Bahamas, I had two top 50 finishes. But if I had won the tournament, instead of being down, I would have been up a lot of money, right? I mean, you, you got you to gotta try to win. You have to try to win. Tournaments are so rough. Tournaments are rough. It's important to understand what you sign up for. A lot of people do not realize what they signed up for. Here's a nice tame cash game graph for a nice winner. Notice again, they're breaking even for a long stretch of time. This looks like about 10,000 hands. Of breaking even. Normal, right? Get used to it. That's why you have to put in good volume. Volume cures variance at the end of the day. You need to get a private session with someone. Go to pokercoaching.com slash private to check it out. Yeah, join the Poker Coaching Discord for sure. We have a webinar, a homework webinar, starting very, very soon. I don't even know what the question is. I need to look that up. So make sure you get it at pokercoaching.com. I'm sure we're going to have some sort of holiday sale coming up. Happy holidays to everyone. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season. If you prefer to play cash, are you leaving a ton of value on the table by avoiding tournaments? No. I think cash games are actually really good if you're first starting to play poker because the, um, the swings are way less in cash games compared to tournaments. And the nice thing about cash games is that you have to learn one structure. Whereas in tournaments, you have to learn how to play deep stack, shallow stack, medium stack, on the bubble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Isn't 10,000 hands like two days? Depends on how many uh, hands you play. Do the math. You can play, let's say, 40 hands per hour at one table. So if you play 10 hours at one table, that is 400 hands. Of online poker. Live poker, you play maybe 25 hands per hour. So you can play 250 hands per day. 250 hands per day of live poker. That means it's 40 days of live poker. Obviously, you can play a whole lot of more hands online. You didn't see me live for a while. Have I been around? No, I've been in the Bahamas playing poker. I have to go now. I have to get ready for the poker coaching webinar. We have Play and Explains for members again. I don't know. Probably. We do all sorts of content at pokercoaching.com. You've been playing seriously for two years, but you have no money. Well, that's not good. I would definitely recommend that you move down, play fewer tables, and study a whole lot more. I cannot make this any more clear to everyone. If you're not winning at poker, you should not be playing very much poker. You should be studying. If I decided to go do brain surgery, and you know, it just didn't work out so well, because I've never really studied it, what should I do? What, what's the logical thing that I should think if I go to do a brain surgery and I botch it and I've never studied brain surgery? What should I do? Should I go do another one? Should I do more of it? Should I try to work on uh, more difficult brain situations? Or should maybe I stop doing brain operations and go study? What do you think the logical answer is? Does it make sense to play the lowest buy-in to $140 if your bankroll is 6 k not really. No. That probably has a lot of rake anyway. If you want to get good at anything, you have to study a lot. And if you're losing at something, it presumes you're not that good at it. Or maybe the game's unbeatable. Maybe you're playing in games where the rake is too high. No one's winning. Who knows? Whatever it is, if you're not winning money at poker, step one is to get good at poker. Yeah, I got to move up to more advanced brain surgery where, the, where, where they will expect my scissors more. you all get how stupid it would be to go do more brain surgery if I've never studied brain surgery, right? It's just such an asinine thought process that people have. I'm losing at poker, therefore I should move up, or therefore I should play more, or whatever. It's stupid. Luckily, that makes poker a great game because people don't relate it to literally any other thing in life. If you're bad at something, you need to go study. Simple as that. So you need to study. Fortunately for you, I made a website, pokercoaching.com. Go to pokercoaching.com slash fundamentals. It's a free crash course. It's not going to make you the best player in the world, but it'll make you not terrible. And from there, check out the cash game or tournament masterclass, which will really get you up to speed. If you go through those, you should be able to beat the small stakes. Now, again, you're not going to just like immediately beat them overnight. You're going to have to play, get some experience, implementing good, strong strategies. But... If you're not winning right now and you've been playing for two years, it implies you're not that good at poker. Or you have some sort of leaks. You know, maybe maybe you are winning at poker, but you're spending all the money. Or maybe you're, you know, maybe you're uh, not playing all that often. Maybe two years is four hours a week, which is like, which is no time at all, right? Is 10% rake too high at one, two? Depends on what it's capped at. If the rake is capped at three, three big blinds, then it's not that big of a deal. If the rake is not capped, then 10% is unbeatable. Understand that you have to really classify a lot of things and really quantify it. You have to make sure that you know the parameters behind what you're discussing. For example, 10% rake, what does that mean? 
10% rank uncapped, 10% rank capped at three big blinds, capped at $3, capped at uh, five big blinds, but no rank preflop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? You have to make sure you know very clearly what you were discussing. Otherwise, you're not going to get good information. Poker is actually a funny game because I think a lot of people try to really, really oversimplify stuff. But at the same time, some people try to go like way, way, way too in the weeds. I mean, you watch some people go through GTO solutions and it takes them an hour to go through one spot or, you know, one hand. And yeah, I mean, I guess you can, but at some point it's overkill. And I do my best in all of my content to give you good, strong, actionable information that will give you all the relevant information that you need to understand how to approach all the common scenarios you're going to be in, both for poker and off the table things like bankroll management. And hope you all make good use of it. It's holiday season. I know some of you have a little bit of free time. If you want to read more about bankroll management, check out pokercoaching.com slash bankroll. Go there, read it. It's a good read. Um, I have a new book that came out recently. Here it is. 100 Essential Tips to Master No Limit Hold'em. We talk about bankroll in this, obviously. Bankroll is important. One of the best-selling books on Amazon. Thank you for making that happen. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on dnbpoker.com. The initial printing sold out almost immediately. We have another printing coming immediately. It's in the, in the works. Should be shipping out very, very soon. 100 Essential Tips to Master No Limit Hold'em. Can you go pro with the information in the free fundamental course? Bapo, do you think you can study anything for three hours and become a professional at it? Probably not. Funny enough, with poker you actually can. All you have to do to get win at poker is find a game you can beat. Play it a lot and keep a proper bankroll. Imagine. Let me give you a real world example. Imagine you live in Los Angeles and you have a lot of great connections with a lot of celebrities who don't know how to play poker whatsoever. But they have a lot of money. You can be bad at poker and play against these players who don't know how to play at all and you will make a humongous amount of money. There are some players who don't play with pros at all. They refuse to play with pros because they realize they're not that good at poker themselves. But they set up these games against players who don't know how to play at all and they smash them and they make good money. So what actually defines a good poker player? The one who knows how to play the best poker or the one who makes the most money? Interesting question to leave you all with today. That's me for today. I have a poker coaching homework webinar starting in about 12 minutes if you're a poker coaching member. Make sure you get in that. If you're not a poker coaching member, head over to pokercoaching.com right now. Check it out. If you enjoyed this show, click the like and subscribe button down below. Click the like and subscribe button down below, please. Good luck in your games. Have fun. Make the most of your opportunities. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful holiday season. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.